like you need it today. This is God's word. Not Pastor Evans' word. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can be who it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are open. And I better not go to sleep. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you for your word today. Your word is a lamp unto our feet, and it's a light unto our path. And Father, I thank you in advance that your word is going to produce signs, miracles, and wonders in our lives. Because, Father, we believe it and we receive it. And as I step back, I thank you for the Holy Spirit stepping up so that our lives will reflect the manifestation of your word. And I thank you for signs, miracles, and wonders following. In Jesus' name I pray. Let everybody say amen. 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 And amen. Give the Lord a hand clap as you take your seats today. You may be seated. What an opportunity we have to celebrate the second most important day in the history of Christianity, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can we give Jesus another round of applause this morning? Some of you may be thinking, how is it the second most important day? Well, the first most important day was his birth. He was born by the Virgin Mary the first time. And the second time he was born is when he was raised again from the dead. Jesus is the only person who had two birthdays. Amen. You're probably wondering right about now, why is that casket in the front of the church? Touch your neighbor and say, I am wondering that. Well, most of the time when we see a casket, It's because someone has died, which of course produces sadness and it produces negative emotions. And it's usually a sign if we are seeing a casket that we are, uh, you know, at someone's home going that we love. However, today I want to present to you the other side of the casket. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm going to see the other side of the casket. Well... You may be saying, what is the other side of the casket? Well, the casket for a believer doesn't represent death, but it represents abundant life and eternal life. Because abundant life, the only way you and I receive that is through Jesus Christ, and the only way Jesus was able to give it to us is if he died. Everybody say, he died. So a a casket to us represents abundant life, but it also represents eternal life because when we as believers die, eternal life is our spiritual destination. So if you're taking notes this morning and you want to, my sermon title is Living a Resurrected Life. Everybody say living a resurrected life. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to find Romans chapter 5, Romans 5, we're going to look in verse 8. And then if you have your ribbon, I want you to find 
Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. I'll say that again. That was Romans chapter 5, verses 8. And then Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. I only have two points for you this morning. Everybody say two points. And if you're a good class, not only will I finish both points, I'll get you out of here on time. Amen. See, I got an amen already, so you're helping me. So the first point is, and if you want to write it down, is this. God showed his love and Jesus shed his blood. Say this with me. Say, God showed his love and Jesus shed his blood. Now go to Romans chapter 5, Romans 5. We're going to look in verses uh, 8. And I'm going to read it out of the King James Bible. And then after I read it out of the King James Bible, I'm going to read it out of the Living Bible. It says in the King James Bible, But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, say much more, much more being reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Now, I love the Living Bible. This is what it says. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since by his blood he did all this for us as sinners, how much more will he do for us now that he has declared us not guilty? Now he will save us from all of God's wrath to come. And since we were his enemies, we were brought back to God by the death of his son. Now listen to this part. What blessings he must have for us that we are now his friends and he is living within us. Everybody say God showed his love and Jesus shed his blood. That verse is saying that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In the middle of your mess, Christ said, I still want to die for you. You know, if it was me, I wouldn't do it. See, when my kids are not acting right, I'm not happy. You know, see, God has some bad kids. Did you know that? Now look at your neighbor and say, are you one of God's bad kids? No, no, God has some bad kids, and in spite of having bad kids, in spite of people who would never accept him as their Savior, he still decided to die for us. And see, most people have a hard time accepting God's love, and here is why. It's because they confuse God's love with how they act. I'm going to say that again. Most people have a hard time accepting God's love because they confuse God's love with how they act. And because most of us have been taught you get nothing free in life, it makes it difficult for us to accept the free gift of salvation that Jesus has already worked for. In other words, Jesus has done all the work. All we have to do is accept and believe. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, if you want to write it down, it says, for by grace are we saved. Grace means unmerited favor, something you didn't deserve. By grace are you saved through faith, 
And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, watch this, not of works, lest any man should boast. In other words, you can't do enough works to get to heaven. You can't give enough money to get to heaven. You can't be good enough to get to heaven. And there are a lot of good people on their way to a destination called eternal damnation because they think their good works are going to get them in. See, I discovered years ago, ask me what I discovered. I discovered that God doesn't have grandkids. You know, like us, you know, we, if we have children and they have children, then those children become our grandchildren. Well, God doesn't have grandkids. He only has kids. In other words, you can't get into the kingdom because your mom and daddy know God. You can't get into the kingdom just because your mom and daddy know Jesus Christ. No, no, no. You have to accept Jesus Christ as yourself because God doesn't have any grandkids. Amen. Everybody say God showed his love and Jesus shed his blood. Amen. Now, here's the thing. We can't work for God's love, but most people try. And here's why do we try. Because we have to work for everybody else's love. Amen. And see, that's why the average person, in my opinion, tries to get their life together before they give their life to Jesus Christ. I, do, I did that. When I first heard about salvation, I'm like, whoa, I got to clean my life up because, you know, I, I was probably smoking a pound of weed a day. Come on, how many ex-weed smokers do we have in the, in the room? Oh, so only two. Oh, oh my God. Can you tell the truth on Easter Sunday? I didn't, I didn't say, do you still smoke weed? I said, ex-weed smokers in the room. Let me try it again. How many ex-weed smokers do we have in the room? Thank you, Lord. <laughs> How many current weed? No, don't even... <laughs> I've discovered that most Christians spend the majority of their life trying to feel forgiven when we've already been forgiven. I'm going to say that again. Most Christians spend the majority of their life trying to feel forgiven when they've already been forgiven. So why is it that we struggle with the feelings of being forgiven. It's because our feelings reside in the soul realm and our souls weren't born again, our spirits were. I'm going to say that again. See, your soul consists of your mind, your will, your thoughts and how you feel. Everybody say your mind, your will, my thoughts and how I feel. That's your soul realm. Well, when you and I got born again, our soul stayed the same. It was our spirit that became new. Amen. And that's why we struggle with the feelings of being forgiven. Amen. We received a new spirit, not a new soul. And I've learned that when God forgives us, he also forgets. See, most of us, when we forgive, we don't forget. In fact, we even tell them, I forgive you, but I ain't forgetting it. No, no, that's not how God is. God not only forgives, but God forgets. And so whatever you're struggling with or have struggled with, God don't even remember no more if you ask him to forgive you. As a matter of fact, years ago, everybody say years ago. 
Years ago, uh, when I was a new Christian, man, I was asking God to forgive me for something. And uh, because I didn't feel forgiven, later on that day, I went back to God and I prayed again the same prayer. And I said, Lord, would you forgive me for this? And he, he said, for what? I said, well, for whatever it was. He's like, I don't remember that. And what he was saying to me was, Evan, when you ask me to forgive you, I don't remember it no more. And see, that's when now you have to learn that forgiveness is a choice and not a feeling. Amen. And see, some of you all in this room don't realize that you have been forgiven, watch this now, eternally. When Jesus died for our sins, Forgiveness by God became mandatory and not optional. I'm going to say that again. When Jesus died for our sins, forgiveness by God became mandatory and not optional. In other words, it doesn't matter what you did and no matter what your life looked like, once you received Christ, it was mandatory by God to forgive you. Somebody say amen to that. Now, what I'm going to do Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Go to Hebrews 10. And uh, we're going to look in uh, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1. Uh, let me describe to you how it used to be to be forgiven for sin. See, back in the Old Testament, you just couldn't confess your sins. No, no, no. You had to bring an animal, bring it to the tabernacle, and the priest would have to go and take that animal and sacrifice that animal on your behalf and the blood of that animal is what God saw. But here's the problem. Because an animal wasn't the origin of sin and man was, the blood of the animal was never acceptable to God. So basically, the blood of the animal, once it dried up, those sins came right back up again. And that's what Hebrews chapter 10 is going to describe. Now, I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. It says this. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year. Watch this, though. But they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped for the worshipers would have been purified once and for all. And their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, watch this now, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. Verse 4 says this, For it is not possible, watch this, for the blood of bulls and of goats to take away sins. That is why when Jesus Christ came into the world, he said to God, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. What he was saying is, God, I know the blood of an animal does, is not suffice for you. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to shed my innocent blood for the forgiveness of their sins. Now, see, I'm glad I wasn't Jesus because I wouldn't have done it. Y'all would have been on y'all own. I would have been like every man for himself. Hey, no, Jesus sacrificed his life. Now, 
I'm going to uh, ask you a question that I want you to think about. If we have been forgiven and our old man has died, why do Christians still sin? Look at your neighbor and ask him, why are you still sinning? Now look at him again and say, stay out of my business. <laughs> why do Christians still sin? Go to Romans chapter 6. Go to Romans chapter 6. We're going to look in verse 3. Romans 6, 3. All right, Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Listen to what it says. It says, know you not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, we were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That, that's why the casket is here this morning. It represents death. Verse 4 says, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also walk in the newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Listen to verse 6. It's very powerful. Knowing this, everybody say knowing this. Knowing this, that our old man, everybody say old man. Now look at your neighbor and say, you look like an old man. Now look back at him and say, your mama. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. No, no fights. We don't have workman's comp around here. No fights. Verse 6 says this. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin, notice how it describes sin. It says that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead, casket, is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So if our old man, which we just read, is dead, then how do you and I still sin? Everybody say, hmm. Here's the thing. It's not that your old man wakes up. It's that your old mind never dies. I'm going to say that again. Let me rewind that. Okay, here we go. It's not that your old man wakes up. It's that your old mind never dies. Let me say it this way. It's not that your old man is still alive. It's that your old mind never died. In other words, the only reason you and I still sin is because we have a sin conscience, because we have not renewed our mind to God's way of thinking. See, your body doesn't know no different. That old man is dead. He is crucified. The Bible says, uh, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Well, guess what? That old part of me is dead. He doesn't wake up. My mind just remembers what I used to do. Amen. And that's why some people still do things. That doesn't represent Christianity. Amen. Who cussed out somebody yesterday? Let me see your hand. Got one hand over here. Got a hand over here. Yeah. We have to pray for them right now. It's not that your old man came alive. 
<laughs> it's that your whole mind never died. Amen. Now, turn your Bibles, because I ask you a question, why do Christians still sin? And we read Romans chapter 6. But now, the question I have for you is, how do we live a resurrected life even though we have opportunities to sin? Well, that gives me point number two. Here's point number two. A resurrected life is experienced through a resurrected mind. I'm going to say that again. A resurrected life is experienced through a resurrected mind. In fact, say this with me. Say, a resurrected life is experienced through a resurrected mind. Now, I want you to turn over to Romans chapter 12. Go to Romans 12, and I need a handkerchief. Oh, here's one right here. Romans chapter 12, we're going to look in verse 1. Romans 12, and they have my notes here. Thank God. Look at that. See, when you get 50, your eyes change. So my fonts are 20. Don't be laughing. I'm sensitive about that. Romans chapter 12. Now check this out. I'm going to read Romans chapter 12 in two different verses or two different translations. Because some of us have been inoculated just enough with the Bible. And we say, oh, I know that. But it's not that you know it. It, it just means that you've heard it. And that's the problem with a lot of us. A lot of us, we think we have heard it or know it just because we have heard it. Now, what's interesting is this. A resurrected life is experienced through a resurrected mind, which means that when I elevate the way I think, watch this now, my life will change. See, the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's why I have to change the way I think. And once I do, once I start thinking God's way, my frustrations in life will go down. And see, I've, been, I've learned how to live a, res, a resurrected thought life. And when you do, see, the Bible says, for Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. In other words, he was able to go through some negative stuff because he saw the end at the beginning. See, that's a resurrected thought life. When you can see the end, when you can see God do it, when you've seen him do it before and you know he'll do it again, that you can walk through and watch this, you can sleep on the boat with Jesus and have peace because you know he's going to come through. Amen. And see, here's the thing. Just because you have something doesn't mean you will experience it. See, my point is this. That a resurrected life comes through a resurrected mind. And just because you have something doesn't mean you're going to experience it. In other words, I could buy you a brand new, I can go to the dealership, go buy you a brand new S550 Mercedes. Heated seats, cool seats, man, the car drives by itself. It gives you a whole back massage, foot massage, leg massage. The, the cup holders can be heated and cool. I mean, the car basically will drive by itself. I could go buy that car for you, drive it to your house, give you the keys. And let's say at that time your only mode of transportation was a bicycle. I mean, that's how you got to work. And Monday morning rolls around, and instead of 
getting in that brand new car I gave you, you decide to go to work the normal way on the bicycle. You get to work, you all sweaty. They used to seeing you sweaty, but then you come in excited. Like, girl, somebody gave me a brand new S550 Mercedes for free. And they're like, well, how did it ride? I don't know. You have something, but you haven't experienced it. And what I'm saying to you, in order for us to experience abundant life, we have to raise the way we think. Can I get an amen from somebody? Romans chapter 12 describes this. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you, look at your neighbor and say he's talking to you, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, watch this now, by the renewing of your what? Of your mind. And once you renew your mind, he says, you will be able to prove what is good, what's acceptable, and what the perfect will of God is. Listen, the difference between you not knowing God's will or knowing his perfect will is your transformed mind. Now listen to how it reads in the New Living Translation. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you for you to give your bodies to God because all he has, because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will deem or find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. Let him transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. He's saying, listen, that new person that we have become spiritually, we can become naturally if we change the way that we think. And that's the challenge today. To live a resurrected life, you have to have now a resurrected mind. You have to start thinking at another level. Everybody say another level. See, recently, last week, we were out, and it's because my family, we went on vacation. And, uh, man, it was almost three years since we've been on vacation. I would never do that again in Jesus' name. So we're on our vacation, and uh, uh, we were going to Jamaica. My wife is Jamaican, if you didn't know that. And so that makes us Jamaican. So, you know, the Jamaican and the Jamaicans are on their way to Jamaica. That's where we decided to go. And normally there's just a direct flight. It's only like a three-and-a-half-hour flight from Dallas-Fort Worth to Jamaica. But for some reason, the airlines did not have direct flights. They only had connecting flights. And see, I'm used to getting on the plane in America and getting off the plane in Jamaica. Well, it didn't work like that this time. We had to get off, get on the plane in America, get off the plane in America, redo our luggage, and get back on the plane, and then get to Jamaica. And see, while we start experiencing problems, Pastor Evans' mind was on his own plane. And see, don't, 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 don't look at that negative because somebody can give it to me. You know, I know people that somebody gave them a plane. Well, God may put it on your heart to give me a plane, and if he does, I will receive it in Jesus' name. 
But instead of letting these obstacles frustrate me, I decided every time something came up to thank God for my new airplane. So now we come in, you know, we're getting on the plane to, uh, in Dallas-Fort Worth. And when we got on the plane, a foul smell came up. I mean, it was stinky too. And my wife has this habit because when she flies, she has germaphobic. She carries a small air freshener can with her. So when this smell came up, you know, everybody's looking like, who did it? Who did it? Did you do it? Did you do it? So heaven decides, her and my wife, they spray in the plane. Heaven spray in the air vent. And the, the steward is like, don't, you can't do that. And I'm thinking, you need to let her do that right now. Because it was stanky. And instead of getting frustrated, I'm thinking, man, Lord, thank you for my own plane that won't have this foul smell. But they getting frustrated. I see them getting frustrated. And then on the way back, we get on the plane. We have to fight through and everything. And we're sitting there. We're in first class. And uh, a demonic smell comes up. It was demonic. In essence, somebody fought it. That's what happened. I mean, it was a stanky fart. See those silent farts? Those silent ones that you don't hear, you know what I'm talking about. The ones that just like air come out, but you know, no sound come out, like the kind you can do and nobody know who did it. Somebody let off a bomb in that place. And the problem with a fart in an airplane, you can't open the windows. You can't open the windows. You can't open the door. You are 40,000 square feet in the air. And I'm like, man, this is stinky. And I'm looking. I'm trying to figure out who did it. And my wife carries this scarf with her every time we travel. It is so embarrassing. And you know how Muslims put the scarf on their face? She don't put it on her face. She cover her whole body up. I mean, this is a picture. Show the picture. I took a picture. That's her. That is my wife on the airplane. Not only is it funky, I'm upset because of how she looked. I'm embarrassed. I'm like, take that thing off of you. And she's training Landon. He's under there with her. So we on this plane and we're trapped in this fungus mess. The smell was so bad, one man got confused. And I'm sitting there and I did not like the smell. But I pretended that I had a uh, Febreze on my own airplane. Because when you raise your level of thinking, you can go through the valley of the shadow of death. So I have three things that you can do today to start changing your mind. I'm going to give you three steps to changing your mind. Because see, listen, 
Abundant life is not automatic because if it was, you would already have it. And see, here's the thing. We don't have a problem with other things not being automatic. In other words, you don't automatically get paid. You have to go to work and put some time in. Am I right about it? Well, guess what? Abundant life does not automatically happen. You have to put forth some effort. You must become a doer of the word. And so there are three things that you and I must do to change our minds. Here's the first one. You must know the word. Everybody say, you got to know the word. And see, people, you know, even we were raised to think what you don't know won't hurt you. That's not true at all. What you don't know can hurt you. You better know who you dating. Come on now. You got to know the word. And just because, watch this now, you have heard the word doesn't mean you know the word. See, when you, once you know the word, it puts you in a position of power. Because now I know that my circumstance is only temporary. Heaven and earth, the Bible says, shall pass away, but that word will never pass away, which means that the word is designed to change my temporary situation because it's a permanent thing. So now I'm not worried. I'm not frustrated. I'm not crying. I'm not bellyaching. I'm not worried. I'm not anxious for nothing. You know why? Because I know God's word is going to come through for me, but you can't stand on what you don't know. Everybody say, you got to know the word. Here's number two. You have to sow the word. Everybody say, sow the word. Now, that word sow is S-O-W. And here's why. You will never get a harvest from a seed never sown. You got to sow the word into your life. And see, once you sow it in your life, and that's what, what happens is, David said like this. He says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God, which says that when I sow the word in my heart, my sin count goes down for my life. If you want to stop sinning, start sowing. Everybody say this. If you want to stop sinning, start sowing. Man, put that word in your heart and write down Psalm 19.7 because the Bible says the law or the word of the Lord is perfect. It converts the soul. So that negative part of me that remembers sin can be converted if I will just put the word in here. So how do you sow the word in your heart? You sow the word in your heart by saying the word. See, God sowed the word into the earth by speaking the word, and the earth had to respond to his words. The Bible says the sower soweth the word. So you sow the word by saying the word. So while I'm there on that airplane, I was like, Lord, I thank you for my airplane in Jesus' name. See, my mind is saying, but you ain't got no money for no airplane. But I'm still sowing the word. God can do exceeding and abundantly above all that I could ask or think. The Bible says that God will give me the desires of my heart. God says in his word that he not only uh, will bless me, but he will bless me so I can be a blessing. So Lord, I thank you that I'll be able to fly folks in my plane in Jesus' name. Amen. You got to sow the word and you sow the word by saying the word. And here's the last thing and we're closing right here. You got to know the word, you got to sow the word, and then you got to grow the word. See, for anything to grow, it needs water. And the Bible describes the word of God as water. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says this, But grow in grace 
and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, listen, it's not just good enough to hear the word. You got to grow in the word. And when you grow in the word, listen, you will develop spiritual roots. So when the storms of life come, it doesn't phase you at all. You got to grow. How does a baby grow in the womb of a mother? The baby has to be fed. You got to feed yourself the word. You can't just wait and hear the word on Sunday. You got to hear the word on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Listen, when you go to lunch now, don't just eat physically. Eat spiritually. You got to say it. And you know what? People think you're crazy. But you know what? It don't matter. Because, see, when you start living this kind of life, you'll have stuff that other people want, but, but they don't have. See, instead of talking about your marriage, being negative, why don't you put the word on it? Lord, I thank you that my husband loves me as Christ loves the church. And see, your mind is saying, but he don't love you, girl. He don't love you, girl. He treats you like a dog, girl. No, no, you got to speak the word. My Father, thank you that my husband loves me like Christ loves the church. Lord, I thank you that my husband values me. He understands me. He, he listens to my opinion, Father. Thank you that we are co-laborers together with God. Lord, thank you that my marriage is, a, is, a, is an example to those who want to be married one day. Thank you, Lord, that I, I'm still in love more today than I was when I first got married. See, some of y'all going, I ain't going to say that. Well, that's why you ain't going to get it. <laughs> I dare you to say what you ain't seeing so you can see what you won't see. So, I have given everybody a death certificate. If you look in your bulletin, you should have gotten a death certificate. Here's what this is going to do. See, our old man... See, the devil has tricked us. He thinks that our old man is waking up. No, the old man is dead. What's alive is our old mind. So, this death certificate is proof that our old man is dead. And so, I want you to write down on here some struggles you've been having in your flesh. Struggles. And uh, you may want to cover up your sheet because, you know, you may be married and you write on there, I'm sorry for wanting to poison my, my wife. I'm sorry I wanted to kill my kids. <laughs> Whatever they are, I want you to put them on. Don't put your name on here. Because we're going to bury these in this casket today. And guess what's going to happen? I'm going to pray. And the Lord has already showed me some of what you all put on this paper is going to drop from your life today. I'm believing. So get your pen. If you need a pen, borrow somebody's pen. Right down here. Uh, and uh, what we're going to do, they're going to pass the receptacles. You're going to fold your paper. You're going to put them in the receptacle. And then the receptacle, we're going to pour all of those in here. And I'm, done, I'm going to declare them dead in Jesus' name. Are you ready? Somebody needs to put on their cussing. Tell you what it says. The state of Texas, the county of Tarrant County, the certificate of death, struggles of the deceased, you list what those are. The cause of death, the blood of Jesus Christ, 
the above information was forgiven by God the Father because of Jesus Christ, the spiritual state of the deceased is eternally forgiven. Amen. Are you ready? Okay, go ahead and pass the, the receptacle, and I need you to put... Oh, y'all not finished? No. Okay, well, okay, all right, well, go down just a little bit. Now, don't be writing a paragraph now. 